This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queens College in the City University of New York. For more, visit theannexpodcast.com. So uh, I want to talk about a little, a little tiny scandal that's brewing in the CUNY system. So uh, you, you guys know about, uh, you, you know, we get these in our mailbox all the time, like someone from the Journal of uh, Gender Aquatic Studies in uh, Metallurgy contacts <laughs> you to tell, them, tell you that they love your new yeah. paper uh-huh. on immigration policy or, you know, someone from Joe Smith Press wants to meet you at the, uh, at the ASAs this year. You know, it's, there's like a big vanity publishing industry, right? I guess the business model here is that somebody approaches you with a, 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 a journal or a book outlet, and basically the author is the one who ends up shouldering the cost. And then they, li- I guess some people list it on their Vita. So th- uh, that's the game. And it looks like the chickens might be coming home to roost on this one, at least in the CUNY system. Over the winter break, the New York Post ran a few stories reporting that uh, several uh, CUNY community college professors were using what they called shady publishers to get tenure and promotion. And now New York State is opening a uh, probe of the wider system. So first off, I find it it's nuts that people are using these publishers. But of course, people are using them, right? Or else this business wouldn't be booming. But like that there are schools that are basing tenuring and promotion decisions on them is also nuts. But also that these people are starting to get found out. It's like a nice cautionary tale that that easy publication that you can buy is, uh, you know, it it runs a risk. It runs a real risk if you're going to try to build a career on that somebody's going to find out. It was the New York Post. So here's my question, right? I mean, it seems to me that there are all of these different checkpoints, right, when it comes to tenure and and promotion, right? So first, first, there's your department, right, that has Mm -hmm. to collect letters, right, from outside people, right, to attest Mm -hmm. to, you know, the importance of your work, yada, yada, yada. Then, you know, then it goes up to the dean level, I guess, right, the school level, and then it goes to your university rank and tenure, right? And then in some places, you know, then it also has to be cleared, maybe by the provost, maybe the provost can intervene, right? So why, how is it possible that people could be getting tenure, right, and or promoted, right, with books published through vanity presses, um, how is that possible given all of these checkpoints? First of all, I think the publishing world is so big. How many people do you know have a book and you look at the publisher and you're like, you don't, you have no clue whether or not. That's yeah, a, you're you're not going to confuse this for you know when a, you're not going to confuse it for the University of Chicago Press. But it's I kind of feel like we a lot of us have a notion of here's the top presses and then there's everything else. And everything uh-huh. else could be basically legitimate or it could be a total scam, you know? So it's like, right. We've all heard of ASR, AJS, social problems, whatever, but you get much further below that, especially if it's a specialty journal that's not in your area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's like, I've never heard of it. And, but you know, there's plenty of legitimate journals that I've never heard of. And since you guys are in slightly different areas than me, if I looked at your CV, there'd probably be some journals that I never heard of. And likewise, you looked at my CV, but you know, in our cases, I'd hope these are all legitimate journals. 
Um, yeah. But you don't really have a way of knowing because you just say like, oh, here's some, you know, networks journal that Gabriel's published and I've never heard of it, but I know him and I'm going to assume that that's a legitimate journal. But you don't really know that if you don't, you know. I'm sorry. I got to push back here a minute. Yeah. I'm the non-techie person here, yeah. but I can still Google things. And usually when I Google things, I right. get a pretty good idea of like, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Right. Well, what about presses, though? What about book presses? That one's a little tough. Like, how does, uh, you know, like, it, it, you know, when you go to that that table at the ESA with the miscellaneous uh-huh. publishers, you know, the miscellaneous publisher table. And like, there's probably a lot of really high quality academic books there. And uh, there are a lot of publishers that I've never heard of. And, uh, you know, how well, do you know? I, I figure anybody who's books? sending it to ASA is probably, you know, more or less legitimate. I, I mean, when you're talking like the hardcore yeah. vanity press, you know, predatory publishing, these are just, you know, email accounts and then an editorial assistant, usually somewhere in India, you know, where, you know, the, yeah, I mean, the kind of like uh, take me off your fucking mailing list. Yeah. Well, type I, publications, the, yeah. You know. but the thing is, I also thought that in order for something to be eligible for the decision uh, against which you know, you would or wouldn't be granted tenure or promotion, it had to be peer reviewed, right? And so if this is not a press in which peer review happens, shouldn't that automatically just be a But a lot of them claim to be peer reviewed when they're not. They do. Yeah, so my understanding is that the, um, that that take me off your fucking mailing list, uh, (laughs) the publisher claimed that they peer reviewed that manuscript. And the reason they submitted the manuscript saying, you know, to just over and over again, take me off your fucking mailing list was to prove that it wasn't really peer reviewed. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe reviewer one and two thought it made compelling arguments, but you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was, when I was thinking about this bit, I looked up one of the, you know, one of the presses, the press solicitations that I had suspicions about just to see. And, you know, they have real foreign professors who are like, I don't know if so-and-so from the University of Montevideo, Uruguay is like one of the good <laughs> professors or is like one of the crazies who's walking around in the hall, right? Like you don't know. Or whether that person actively reviews for them, you know? Yeah. Even, it, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're just stealing or their Or it could ideas. be they asked them to be on the board. They thought that sounds legit and then they never really have contact with them again. You know, the other thing too, right? The other, so, so that's one thing, right? Is, is, is the press itself and whether or not, you know, it's highly ranked, highly respected, whatever. But what about the quality of the work itself, right? Because you would think that, I mean, if the quality of the work, I mean, I'm assuming that the people who were voting on tenure or promotion um, are actually reading this person's work, um, that the quality of the work itself is is actually what at the end of the day should matter, right? Yeah. As opposed to whether, you know, it's, you know, at it, it was published by this press versus the other. I mean, there are like our top presses, I very often publish things that I'm like, what the hell is this, right? And, you know, and often there are lesser known presses where I read the work and I say, wow, this was great, right? So, um, I mean, could maybe, is there an argument to be made that, you know, that this work on its merits, regardless of where it actually was published, is actually good work? 
I mean, you're kind of implying a point here, which is that we have this idealized notion, and I think even more people who aren't actually academics have this idealized notion that peer review is like this magical thing that means it's good or reliable yeah. or whatever. Whereas we, we've all read a ton of shit that's peer reviewed. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. it, but, and then also this idea that like, it, if you look at like people who do like mathematical simulations of how publishing works, they kind of have this idea of like, if it's the best, it'll get in the best journal. And if it's mm-hmm. not, it, it, whereas like, mm-hmm. I, I often feel like there's a large element of quality and that what gets into the best journal is, um, you know, very often, not necessarily the very best work, but definitely well above average. Uh-huh. Um, but th- there's also just the sheer fact that the journal process has gotten so painful that it's more about, it's as much about tenacity as it is about quality. And mm-hmm. it's like, are you willing to go through two rounds of R and R and then, you know, some, and some people will appeal it and then, you know, do this and that. And it's like, that, that's what struck me about the Bruno Fry thing is that he didn't just publish his papers once. He published each of them three times where I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> Tell us about Bruno Fry. Well, he, he, he wrote papers and then he would like lightly edit them, but like change five to 10% of the words and then submit to them to another journal. Which struck me as crazy because like I like writing papers, but I don't want to get them through peer review even once. Like, why would you want to deal with a reviewer <laughs> two's asking <laughs> comment even uh, a second time after the paper's published? It's like I, I'm done with a paper well before it gets through the first round of R and R. So, so like I, totally. I can see why you know I mean somebody who's like on the board and a very active board member of a uh, journal that offers straight up or down peer review and somebody who's like, you know, put stuff on social archive. I can definitely see the appeal of like, just get this over with. Um, and not, I, I, I don't want to deal with, you know, reviewer two saying, you know, you didn't cite Max Faber, you know, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, right. There's also, you know, I find I've reviewed a lot of articles where, my opinion is is that the empirics are reasonable, but I have so little interest in the purpose or content of the study that like I personally it's like it, it I don't consider it a good article or an interesting article. It doesn't appeal to me at all, but maybe somebody out there does. And you read it with a, a sense of charity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I, I often do that in reports. I'll, I'll say something like, you know, this doesn't strike my personal interest, but if it res, if you feel it resonates with readership, go with it. And I could see, I've never been on a tenuring and promotion yeah. committee, but I could see people having that a lot where you're like, okay, I, I, I guess somebody likes it. <laughs> and, uh, the, me- okay, the, so methods, the methods here, do look Here's a, here's a question I have for you guys. Not counting grading undergraduates, what uh-huh. percentage of your week is taken up with evaluating other people's work? So whether it's admissions or peer review or, um, you know, there's a job search and you're supposed to read the candidate's file, add all that stuff up together. What percentage or like being on the, pro- uh, the jury of a book prize, what percentage of your week do you think is taken up by reviewing other people's work and i'll go first it i guess it probably takes up close to a quarter of my week that's insane i do very little i mean i maybe do like uh i do a handful of Mm -hmm. journal reviews Mm -hmm. every year but that's uh and i've been on committees i wasn't on one this year for hiring or uh not students right yeah, I'm not talking graders, which I which I actually do relatively little of because I only teach large lectures and then I have TAs. 
Um, but I do spend yeah. a ton of time doing peer review and I'm on admissions this term. And, you know, for the five weeks that I'm doing admissions, it's half my week. Well, I'm on leave this semester. So yeah. <laughs> not, a, so not a that, but if I think about last year, like mm -hmm. last year, so my department had a search, right? But also too, I was on the search committee for African-American studies that was trying to fill four positions. Yeah. Um, and I was, and there were only two social scientists on that search. And so, I mean, it was, it, it was nuts. Like, what were the other I, people, humanities? Almost everyone else, uh, almost everyone else was on, uh -huh. was, were humanities, right? There were uh -huh. two of us, an economist and myself, we were the two social scientists and everyone else was basically English slash like cultural studies. Um, uh -huh. it was, pr it was pretty nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say, oh yeah. And then of course, like I'm also, yeah, I, on, also on so many other committees, I would say that that semester, I would say f like fully a half of my week. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, women and or ethnic minorities do more of this because a lot of committees want to make sure that y'all's uh, perspective is represented, which in <laughs> practice means more service work for y'all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm the poster child for that. Yeah. Give me hegemony in a free week. <laughs> You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. For more information, visit theannexpodcast.com. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our production team included Anika Chowdhury and Liseth Moreno. On behalf of the Annex team, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>